Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. This week, Lion Boy by Zizu Corder. Can you, like, uh, shop in, like, a lion roaring sound? (laughs) There we go. (laughs) This book was published in 2003. It is the beginning of a series of Lion Boy books. The book does end on uh, quite a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. It really feels like the just action setup. Um, the book as a whole. The following books are Lion Boy, The Chase, and Lion Boy, The Truth. (laughs) Great selection of titles. (laughs) This is a book that some listeners have also expressed interest in and that we found when looking through our... um, Thank you, Mom, for continuing to bring all of our books to our houses. I know you're not doing it for us. You're doing it for yourself (laughs) because you have so much stuff you in that garage. So stuff in your garage. And now, you know what? Some of it's in my garage. <laughs> and in my office. But Lion Boy was a true delight to reread. It was more present in your young reader life than mine, I believe, unless you were thinking of a different book. I have not read this book. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, leaving this in for a little behind-the-scenes podcast spiel. <laughs> I was so close to being like, could you lead the discussion on this one? Hey. It would be like in law school when I get cold called and I didn't read the case and I'd just be kind of like trying to scan it in front of me and be like, well, so. Okay. Well, in that case, we'll continue. We will forge bravely on like the titular Lion Boy. We'll talk about this in detail during Old and New Impressions, but Zizu Corder is actually a pen name. This book was written by the writer. She's a novelist and a memoirist, and she also currently writes for The Guardian and I believe does freelance other places. Louisa Young, who is British, and her daughter, Isabel Adumarco Young, who is an actor and musician and activist. Um, And she uses she, they pronouns also. Um, And Isabel was only like 12, 11, 12, Mm -hmm. when they wrote this first book together, which just makes me so happy. And her father is Ganyan. Mm -hmm. So the... uh, main character charlie is really modeled after her Mm -hmm. and there's just so many sweet loving messages about how beautiful an interracial marriage and family are and like the blending of their cultures while also still celebrating each of them on their own and like charlie loving being ganyan like yeah it's really beautiful yeah i it made me so happy it's that element is just truly so lovely. Um, and I did, because I looked it up before because I was like, ooh, Zizu. Like, I wonder what kind of heritage this Zubi, author Zubi, has. Zubi, <laughs> Our little sister loves singing she that song. Does. I think maybe those with children can like enlighten us. I think it's in one of like the Trolls movies or something. Oh. So that's how she picked it up. And I know it from like a very uncomfortable scene in Mad Men. In Mad Men. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> which is very different. And is, uh, our sister Isa calls it the Zoopy song. <laughs> Zoopy, Zoopy, Zoop. 
Zooby, zooby, zoo. <laughs> right, and that's she how she sings, sings it. it. Yeah, it's supposed to be sung. The French word is bisou for mm-hmm. kiss. Yeah. Yes, but she is split in. Anyway, please continue. Uh, and so I looked it up and saw that she um, wrote it with her daughter, who is mixed race. And uh, so as I was reading it, because I did that before I started it, I was just more and more like, oh my gosh, this is so lovely. <laughs> Like what a what a wonderful like project to pair with your child on um yeah good stuff. Before we get into it, we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't read this before or would like to revisit it, scamper along and check it out from your local library or listen to the excellent audiobook that is available pretty widely. Mm-hmm. I, I saw it in a bunch of different places. Um, it is read by Simon Jones, and he does an amazing job with the bevy of accents, mm-hmm. the cat sounds, the music. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot that's going on orally. <laughs> um, yeah. And he does a great job. Yeah. And he does a good job too. Like sometimes if you have a book where there is people of a lot of different um, ethnic backgrounds, mm-hmm. the audiobook uh, narrator can stray into some offensive territory yes. when like imitating what they think those accents should sound like. Yeah. Uh, and I think this this audio narrator does a good job at like characterizing the individuals, but not um, like turning them into stereotypes. I agree. And I thought appropriately the most stereotypical sounding accent was the American accent. Yeah. That was done for the corporacy, the evil big That's pharma group, point. which yeah. I want to talk about more in detail because yeah. I thought that piece was really, really funny. Yeah. Let's talk about the cover. Let's talk about how the publisher chose to package and promote this book. And this is our copy from from young personhood (laughs) we've managed to hold on to this one so this book was definitely bought for patrick our younger brother and that's because it was always in his room on his shelf Mm. open open the front cover there's a little um childhood tidbit a bookmark from barbara's bookstore which is a wonderful chain of bookstores in chicago yeah i loved barbara's bookstore i think they still exist Sears Tower was one of the locations that where it was. Anyways, um, and I think that someone bought it for Patrick because it, it says boy on it. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I mean, this design is definitely something that would appeal more to male readers than a lot of other fantasy covers. Yeah, no, and I don't mean that as a read. I really like this cover. Um, Patrick just, he's never been a big reader, um, and everyone else in our family are very into reading, so there was a lot of attempts to get Patrick more interested. And it is funny because... We should say the women are into reading. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's yeah. pretty pretty split down gender lines, this one, unfortunately. And Grace is right about the quote unquote like appealing to boys marketing mm-hmm. tactic because it's it has a like a hollow metallic finish. Mm-hmm. And I say hollow because my husband has been very into uh, cards such as Pokemon and baseball and Magic the Gathering cards lately, and I would see a lot of hollow cards, and that's what it makes me think. Of. Hollow foil. It's got the foil. <laughs> 
Um, but it's it's a really cool cover because it just has the huge, like, beautiful lion face and the eyes look very wise and it's detailed yet metallic. Uh, and it has the big um, kind of circus-looking title. Yeah, I thought the, the design lion was boy definitely and, going in that yeah. direction of, like, the Barnum and Bailey yes, look. exactly. Red and gold, block letters with a serif. It's great. And on the back... Uh, which is also metallic, the whole like dust jacket is, it says, never underestimate a cat or a boy who knows how to speak its language. And I say it like that because there's a like bunch a of like <laughs> random like line capitalizations. Breaks. <laughs> line breaks and capitalizations. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Um, I also love this. I just love this school of design in general that's like, is the book about lions? Does a lion appear? Mm-hmm. Well, put a big old lion on there. People lion. like that. Lion, they want to look at lions. Like, let's take advantage of our strengths here. And there's also a really fun map. There's amazing art. Um, there, there's the name of the artist is in the acknowledgments, and they have the tiniest, most detailed little diagrams and maps, and I really appreciated that visual. We'll put some of the illustrations up on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. And I will also check them out there because I listened exclusively to the audiobook. Oh, look at the ship. Isn't the ship great? Uh, Zizu Quarter actually said in the acknowledgments, use a magnifying glass because yeah. there's so many tiny details. Oh, it it's reminds really me. really beautiful. It reminds me of like, we had like picture books of just like super detailed cutaways. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a Where's Waldo thing. Yeah, I know what you're bit. talking about, but I can't remember like what it was called. It would be an illustration of something that is being having a section removed so you can see inside it. So there literally was one of a giant ship, right? And, and I then think you could see all the little mazes. Oh yeah, they were. You're right. They're mazes. Yeah. 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 So you could see the giant ship and then the cutaway showed all the different cabins and compartments and storage and like the boiler room and stuff. And then you could see the doors. So you'd be able to make your way through and figure out how to get from yeah, point A to point B. That was a really cool book. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Really cool illustrations. Um, and the, one more thing about the metallic hollow uh, is that Patrick had other books that were given to him that were quote unquote for boys that also had metallic covers. I'm thinking of Del Toro Quest. Oh my God. All of those. Del Toro Quest. Yeah. Yeah. A phrase that has not come across my path for many a year. Patrick never read those, but boy did I. <laughs> oh my God. You're absolutely right. And now I'm realizing of course it was to connect them to those super desirable cards yeah those hollow charizards brilliant i want you to take this home and flash in front of nick and see what he <laughs> grabs at it let's do some very unscientific tests okay the protagonist of lion boy is a a boy not a lion whose name is charlie ashanti and the book from the start, just kind of accepts the fact, and the reader is therefore made to accept the fact that he can just talk to 
cats. Yeah, to, it's to just all kinds of cats. Immediately There's no stated. explanation. Yeah. There is, and that's kind of the ethos for the other pieces of this book that are different from a standard reality that we're accustomed to. Because Charlie lives in Ghana. His mom is from England. His dad is from Ghana. They did live in London for a while, but now they're in Ghana and his parents are both scientists. So mm. like very accomplished high level scientists who are researching a medical cure for asthma specifically because this is a sort of dystopian future in which the emissions from vehicles, from gas-powered vehicles, have become so severe that they have caused worldwide asthma in children. Yeah. So it's made it really hard for kids to grow healthy and strong, and Charlie has asthma as well. And so they're interested in trying to work on their great cure. And it seems that Charlie is aware that they have already gotten to some pretty elevated place of, I don't know, they've accomplished something. Mm -hmm. He's just not really sure what it is. And his mom has something called, um, what is it, like heal everything lotion or something like that? Um, And you can take a couple drops and you'll just feel better. So clearly she's got some other medicinal powers. Some of that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) And it works on lions and humans as well. Um, Put that in the marketing. And in this like dystopian future also like very luckily for them i think it's like the gas just ran out the oil ran out and yeah they ran out and also the health impact was more significant than it has been here Mm -hmm. like to the point where less attenuated yeah where like a broader swath of the population is affected as opposed to just the most vulnerable so Mm -hmm. people care yeah um and so cars pretty much aren't used. They're very rare and it's very difficult to get gas to run Mm -hmm. one. So boat travel is uh, much more common. Um, Or like electric scooters, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I love this sort of steampunk version of our world. Um, I found it very fun. Boy, I wish I wish that we would run out of fossil fuels. Yeah, well, that would be great. That would be um, good. Yeah. Well, my car died a few weeks ago, so I'm well on my way to not. R.I.P. R.I.P. Almost as old as me. Um, so we we learn that Charlie, when he was a baby, was with his dad in the jungle and there is a baby leopard cub who steps on a snake and gets got his dad aneba has the anti-venom and injects the cub and the leopardess seems to understand that he's helping him Um, But then the cub and the leopardess kind of startle after he injects it and the syringe drops and pricks Charlie. And then they both kind of get their baby blood on each other. (laughs) Sharing of the bloods. (laughs) And from that point on, it's pretty obvious that Charlie can speak to cats. Yeah. All All cats. All cats. I'm really jealous, honestly. I know. I wish that I could have spoken to my cat this morning when it took an hour to find her and get her into her cat carrier to take her 
for a routine visit to the vet so that she can live longer. (laughs) And I wish I could talk to my cat, who is the tiniest creature in the world, even though she's over a year old now, and has gone outside twice in the last three weeks because she can compress herself to the size of a string. Like a rat. (laughs) It's impossible. Or like an octopus. Yeah. yeah. And tell her that there are things out there that want to hurt her. Yeah. Charlie's parents are kidnapped. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) And Charlie is just left a really weird note that they clearly didn't write him that says, like, sweet baby boy, mommy and daddy are away on business. And he's like, who wrote this trash? Not my parents. not fooled. (laughs) They're scientists. (laughs) This is not how we talk to each other. (laughs) And he finds his house empty with the note and a... Ne'er do well older boy named Rafi, who is saying to him, Yeah, your parents had to go work on something, but like they told me to tell you that you should just come stay with me and my mom. And he is a neighbor, a neighbor, like he's a neighborhood boy. He Charlie knows him, but everything feels pretty suspicious from the start. And instead of taking him to his mom's house, Rafi takes him to like this weird, crappy, apartment mm-hmm. um and charlie escapes pretty quickly just because Rafi seems to think that he is a baby and doesn't understand that he can like open locks and things like that yeah and charlie does a good job of disguising his intelligence he does yeah, yeah. he attempts throughout the book to play up on his i think kind of youngish looks mm-hmm. we don't get a ton about what he actually looks like um but i think he he tries to elevate that um he does have the coolest haircut in the world which yeah, is really cool to alligators shaved into the back of his hair um looking at each other that that's neither here nor there but <laughs> i just want that but you know cool haircut <laughs> So um, his parents are, we're, we're getting parallel storylines between them and Charlie. We don't hear from his parents that much, though, because most of the book, they're pretty much just in captivity. It becomes clear that they've been kidnapped by a big pharma company that is known as the Corporacy, and <sighs> that this company is trying, like, kind of weakly trying to, like, brainwash them <laughs> into working. I thought there was going to be some kind of actual hypnotism or something or or like Zoolander. (laughs) Zoolander, Clockwork Orange, you know. I mean, they're really on par in terms of the level of cultural impact. Um, But it's just like a sort of promotional video for the corporacy that's like, work with us, love us, be us. And, and it really reminded me of um, Cyberpunk 2077, mm-hmm. uh, just because of, like, how corporations are in that game. And, you know, it's very, like, cyberpunk future capitalism type stuff. Totally. And it becomes clear to them that the company is trying to get the formula for them from them for the cure so that they can either destroy it or just have it in their clutches so that it can't come to fruition because they're making so much money from all these asthma medicines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're also super American, which again, we'll talk about later. Yeah. 
Charlie, in the meantime, is trying to figure out where his parents are, where they're going. They're being transported on a submarine to Paris and then to Italy, to Venice, right? Venice is where they end up. I think so. Yes. And Charlie is trying to get his bearings and make his way there. And he ends up getting onto a circus ship called the Circe, which I'm just now realizing saying it out loud is like a little play on like circus Circe. Like they got, oh, got the name. I just thought about Circe from like the yeah, Odyssey. No, of course. But I think it's a combined no, you're right. little joke, a little textual humor, if you will. Richard. And he gets on the boat with this amazing circus led by Sir Thibodeau. That's how you say his name, right? I think so. And filled with all of these cool folks who are various circus performers, trapeze artist, a contortionist, a bearded woman, a lion trainer named Makamo, who quickly becomes the additional like secret antagonist of the yeah. story. And also a man who has a learned pig <laughs> who can do some math, only addition and subtraction. But he heard about a learned pig that can do division and it's got him all worked <laughs> As soon as I read that, I looked at my dog and I was like, you are not a learned not pig. Not a learned pig. <laughs> Madeline's dog's name is Pig. <laughs> she can't do any math. It also made me think of the oracular pig from the Chronicles oh, of Pridane, yeah. which just always going to be a fave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie makes friends with most of the circus performers and starts learning some circus talents um, because he has to earn his keep fortunately they are heading for paris and by communicating with various cats <laughs> that he meets in ports charlie is able to exchange sort of coded messages between himself and his parents so they each know that the other one is okay i think it's so funny and so 2004 that there's so much or 2003 that there's so much talk about like why aren't our cell phones working what about the cell phone i'm going to check my cell phone voice smell yeah because <laughs> like, it's like an exciting at the forefront thing. of your yeah. mind and yet they totally fail and they have to resort to messages carried by cats in order to <laughs> communicate with one another and mm -hmm. if you're old enough to remember what cell phones were like in 2003 like i am you understand why <laughs> yeah they were ridiculous yeah they were uh a completely different item from what we have as our phones today the uh, I mean, the only one of my friend who my friends who had a cell phone at freshman year of high school, which was 2003, um, we called it the dinosaur because it was, was it the a Nokia? Size. No, it was older than that. I, it was the size of like two bricks. Wow, it was absurd. Charlie is continuing along this route, um, tracing the path of his parents to try to catch up with them. And Makamo notices that he has talents with the cats. So he becomes his trainee. And they work together and Charlie realizes that Makamo is drugging the lions. So they're all very limp and lackluster and they've lost their true ferocious spirits. And Makamo also knows a few words in cat or the cat language that Charlie speaks, but he clearly doesn't speak it himself. 
And Charlie's talking to the lions and making friends with all of them. And they come to a mutual agreement that they're going to help one another. And the lions will somehow help him find his parents. And he will free them from the circus because they're very unhappy. They don't want to be there. There's, we, we get to Paris, we have a two chapter long circus performance, which is very fun. And Charlie has set up Macamo to like have a meet cute with an ex-girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> but he also along the way somehow came across Rafi, who's also been tracking Charlie because Charlie's been leaving him menacing, menacing voicemails. And Rafi is pissed. <laughs> He's so mad and Charlie makes the lions growl at him on the phone. It's it's just incredible. Like if you gave a kid a phone and put him in an actually, you know, dangerous situation like this, I feel like they would end up doing something like that. <laughs> but the danger never feels very real for Charlie. Like he's always having fun. He's always safe. Like I I liked that piece of it and that like you never really feel afraid for his well-being it's like is charlie hungry oh here's a king to give him the king of bulgaria in the future which exists (laughs) whatever so he sees rafi rafi how was it pronounced in the audiobook rafi right i'm pretty sure rafi Rafi. yeah like the you know the guy like the canadian children's singer madeline pretty pretty different character I know, I've, ne- I've never disliked a Rafi until I know, now. I know, that was hard. That was hard for me. This is not the creator of Baby Beluga. Let me tell you. Joshua Giraffe. So, oh, Joshua. Mm. Joshua Giraffe. <laughs> okay, so Rafi is in the circus audience and locks eyes with Charlie. And Charlie is like, oh boy, we got to go right now. So he manages to get the lions away out of the circus and they get onto a train that is going to head to Venice. And the lions sleep on the roof. And then Charlie falls asleep for a few days and kind of forgets about them and then feels horrible because he has to go get them inside and take care of them. They're so cold and hungry, but everybody pulls through. He had also been reducing the drugged drops that were being put into their water and Mm -hmm. drugging Macamo at the same time. So really flipped the situation. They make it to Venice and uh, the lions and Charlie become friends with a king who is on the train. Um, and, they, he, and they pick up a saber-toothed lion. Yeah, on the way to the train. A very sad one. They go past a zoo yeah. and pick up a saber-toothed cat who is crying out a wail of absolute anguish. Yeah. Um, and the, the saber cat hasn't really talked to Charlie yet. So I feel like that's a mystery to yet be unraveled. Um, but it, it ends on a total cliffhanger. The King says he'll help. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlie's parents are with the executive director of the corporacy who's like, you will make medicines for us or else. And that's it. But Have I have a happy pill. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Here, take a pill. And they're mm. like, are you so, are you, you're giving us a pill and expecting us to just be like, yeah, yum. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> We're scientists. Uh, yeah. Again, come on. Mm. But I do appreciate that the, at the end of the book, 
Charlie, after talking to the Lions, decides he is confident in the fact that his parents are safe because they have valuable knowledge. Knowledge that the, now I sound like a cat, that the corporacy needs. So they're going to take care of them. And he's got assets and resources now. He has a group of lions that he's been keeping in a train bathroom. Thinking about the logistics of that, I, I was, was just like, like, how big is this train bathroom? I was confused, but it is the king's train bathroom. Still. But yeah, no, I, I don't know. I've trains lot, don't have a lot of space. I spent a lot of time on trains. I have never seen one that could accommodate. Like, what are we working with here? Like nine lions? Yeah, I mean, it's some a of them ton are small, of lions but... <laughs> and a saber cat that's like twice as big as a lion. Well, now in this future, I'm sure train travel has increased dramatically with the lack of cars. So maybe there are like bigger trains. Okay. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So Wikipedia is telling me that it, it is the saber tooth tiger that it was it, or Smilodon fatalis. Um, it's Smilodon. not, and as those of us who have looked this up before know, it's not actually related to the tiger family, um, or really to any modern cats because it became extinct so long ago. So Smilodon. how is it there? <laughs> Great question. I mean, maybe it was like a Jurassic Park type deal. Oh, yeah, potentially. Maybe that was the the zoo where life finds a way. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that's the end of this book. Old and new impressions. Malin? Uh, I liked this quite a lot. Um, I really appreciated that. Even that, like Grace was saying, you didn't feel like Charlie was in real danger ever. He kind of had like hero armor. Because there are a lot of books where a child is kidnapped that feel pretty frightening. Mm-hmm. The only time that felt I felt real menace was when someone was like lurking nearby, mm-hmm. like Raffi. Yeah. And Charlie is just feeling that, don't look at me, don't look at me. Because if he's like paralyzed by like fear and anxiety. Right. And yeah. I think that's because that closely mirrors a lot of my nightmares too, mm. where you're hiding from yeah, someone totally. or something. Yep. It's that same feeling. Mine were usually dinosaurs. Uh Dinosaurs or some sort of like truly horrifying eldritch creature. Um, I get a lot of zombies. A lot of zombies, which is weird because... You don't even watch like zombie media. I do. Oh, okay. I mean, I I guess it's a very like in, it's in the zeitgeist. And I think it's also just like a fear of the human mind. No, exactly. I I think it's also the piece. And I think it's combined with like a lot of the fantasy we read too, like Mm. the... um, Oh, like Merlin books. Oh, or, yeah. Yeah. Or The Ragwitch or Merlin, yeah. like mm-hmm. any kind of like necromanced dead mm-hmm. thing, which I know is different from a zombie because they're just acting independently. Is this um, because of the Gibdos in Tears of the Kingdom? Oh, my God. Do have not you like. seen the ones in the depths? No, Moth I haven't. Oh, I have seen some like winged ones. Anyway, <laughs> zombie dreams. Um, yeah, so I think that's where that, um, for me, that personal like, oh God, came from. Okay. Um, just the feeling of someone looking for you with malintent. Um, but yeah, overall, I'm sorry, I cut in. Like you were saying, it feels pretty safe for a kid to be in this 
situation. Yeah, and especially by the time he like meets the lions yeah. and he can talk to them, yeah. I'm like, okay, these are some He's pretty hard hitting, like some mm-hmm. some heavy hitters as far as uh, allies go. Mm-hmm. Like there, it's a whole pride of lions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you could talk to them, um, and you have like shared interests. And I, I thought it was like kind of a romp. Um, I would also call this a romp. Yeah, because there was just from like every setting that he was in was fantastical Mm -hmm. and wild. And there's this interesting, um, you know, background of a different sort of reality that they're in. Um, It reminded me a little bit of a Diana Mm -hmm. Wynne-Jones book. Um, And... it's not that scary and dangerous. There's constantly uh, cool and uh, weird characters for you to like get to know and for Charlie to meet. And, you know, he gets like courage and inspiration from them. Mm-hmm. Um, I do <laughs> like a tiny gripe at the end of the book, or maybe this was purposeful uh, that it is not a our future, but rather mm-hmm. a totally separate reality. Mm-hmm. Because at the end, the king of Bulgaria references Yugoslavia. I knew you were going to have some <laughs> thoughts about that. <laughs> Which has not existed since yeah. the early 90s. Yeah, well before the writing of this book. Yeah, I, that's yeah. why I checked the date on this book. And I was like, mm, you were written in 2003. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Um, I was a Russian studies major. Yeah, Eastern European studies <laughs> yeah, major yeah. and and Russian language. Yeah. So that makes me really cool. <laughs> but anyways, I, I thought that was funny. Yeah, it could be an oversight or it, it could be a like, this is a totally different reality. Because um, I think the King of Bulgaria part is also uh, anachronistic. Yes. Um, but I did love the King of Bulgaria part and... I, it was what an interesting character because he is immediately so down. Yeah, I was. I, I appreciated that Charlie had some trepidation because mm-hmm. he's clearly learned not to trust like authority figures, mm-hmm. um, like the police or this pharmaceutical company. Although he mm-hmm. still doesn't really know who they are. Um, and I was nervous when a king showed up. I was like, this could go in a few different yeah, directions. Either way. You get the wrong king, like suddenly the lions are in his sad menagerie. Right. And like you're mm-hmm. in the river, you yeah. know? Um, <laughs> I I trusted him from the beginning. Oh, really? Like, as soon as he showed up, I was like, all right, new powerful ally. Now he's got lions, he's got a king. And I was like, he's going to end up telling the king what's going on because he's going to have to bring the lions mm-hmm. into like yeah. the king's chamber basically. Yeah, it is. I love Charlie saying over and over to himself, what am I doing? I have no plan. My goal is to casually move a group of lions through different countries <laughs> by myself. And I'm just like expecting it to work and out. And I'm a child. <laughs> and I, li- I like the moments where Charlie, like there was one really sweet passage where It's after he's talked to the king, but the king hasn't, like, decided to help yet. And the narrator says, Charlie was too big for stuffed animals, but he laid down with his tiger on his face for a while and cried. Yeah. And I was just like, I still need to do that sometimes. (laughs) 
I have a number of stuffed animals. I'm an adult. I'm a full grown adult with Madeline my own even wallet has now, a tiger. and I can <laughs> buy whatever wallet. I want. And if holding a stuffed animal makes me feel better, I will do it. I mean, who hasn't snuggled up with one of their cats in bed for a little cry? It's good. Your cat won't let you do that. No, yeah, my cat is not <laughs> a snuggler, but I have many times done that. My my dog is so amazing. I as as soon as she hears me like a little sob escape, or I almost wonder if she can like smell yeah. tears yeah. or something, she's up in my face, just frantically like licking me and like leaning against me and like doing her little pig dance of like it's okay, feel better. No, it's okay. I'm here. Yeah, that is what my my kitty animal was like who has passed but same thing i think there are pets who are so attuned to human emotion Mm -hmm. that for whatever reason whether it's self-serving or not i don't i don't care frankly no no um and they know that for one thing they're gonna get pets and snugs Mm -hmm. if they come up to you and for another that like you're their mommy (laughs) yeah it just feels right yeah and that's i mean especially um, animals like dogs and cats, and especially dogs, I think have a really long history with humans. Yeah. Um, like literally evolved together to have like a mutually beneficial relationship. Mm-hmm. So like you know you want each other to be well and be happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what were we talking about? The king. <laughs> We're kind of mixing our old and new impressions, but that's okay. Uh, I mean, yeah, between no. the two of us, it's just a conversation. <laughs> that's they they. Hey, is this, this a podcast or what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also felt that the king was characteri- characterized in a way that I kind of appreciated. Where like. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to, like, feel good about any monarch because your position shouldn't exist. It's exploitative and, that you exist. And you shouldn't be on this train with your, like, ridiculous feasts and your gold plates with little crowns on them. Like, let's reallocate those funds, please. There is no way that your nation does not need them yeah. elsewhere more than yeah. you need them right now. And so I also felt like the king was being painted a little bit as one of those, like, sort of, like, a king who's like, I'm just out to have a good time. And, like, I think it's funny that this little boy is in my cabin and that Mm -hmm. there are lions. And, like, that's interesting. And I'm going to think about this instead of matters of state. And I know I'm being really hard on him right now. (laughs) But I feel like there's such a message in the book of don't trust the big guys Mm -hmm. like you need they don't want what's best for you um and it felt like it was kind of universal but then with the introduction of the king i wonder whether it really is focused on america as the bad guy Mm. because like i've been mentioning the corporacy is hinted at and then explicitly once they actually talk to them as super American, like a massive corporation and also more oriented toward revenue than actual human well-being. And I went back and checked in the book because I was curious if they were written as American, if that word was ever mentioned, because the accents that the audiobook narrator uses are like hyper cheesy, Mm -hmm. um, 
like uh, motivational speaker, mm-hmm. almost American voices. And I saw in researching the series, I haven't read the other two books, that the empire that they mention is the United States. So mm-hmm. it's like the major power in the world in this future. And it's bad. <laughs> I mean, currently... Technically speaking, the American Empire does include most of Europe. <laughs> yes. But, but in thinking about this reality... Um, no, totally. I was just trying to understand, yeah, like who the real big bad is. Obviously, is the corp. It's the corporacy. It's, yeah, it's anti corporate. But, but then we encounter so many other smaller levels of like corrupt systems, and I thought it was really interesting that Rafi is the most immediate threat for most of the book mm-hmm. because he's like a teenager who clearly, you know, turned to crime when he was young as Mm -hmm. a way to make ends meet right he's like a not even a fixer he's he's just a leg man exactly yeah and then it was easy for the corporacy to hire him to conduct these kidnappings and like someone mentioned later in the book it's going to keep their hands clean Mm -hmm. because it's just like this random kid like not someone who's very in line yeah, with exactly. how, like, power and money works. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, and, like, having a hitman be a kid who, I mean, I, I'm not saying Rafi is, like, a good guy, but I don't mm-hmm. think he had a lot of choice in terms of that much money being waved in mm-hmm. front of him. Obviously, yeah. like, you shouldn't turn to crime um, of this type <laughs> Like, you shouldn't be kidnapping families. But he's he should be rehabilitated rather than, yes. uh, yeah, thrown away. And he's young. Mm-hmm. Like, Charlie knows him from growing up in that neighborhood and, like, playing with the other kids and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, yeah, just, just thinking about the different levels of, um, like, how complicit everyone is mm-hmm. in the... Uh, prevention of like universal asthma healthcare, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I guess with the King of Bulgaria, I right away saw him as like a fantasy monarch. Totally. In a more straightforward fantasy book like this, they don't really talk about like the economic problems that come along with having. With the corporacy. And I think that's Right, but they don't with the king. No, right. But I think that's the tension that I'm getting at. And that's where I think the book fails a little bit because Mm -hmm. it is kind of uneven in the way that it talks about the big bad versus other like important key figures. Yeah, no, that's um, that's definitely fair. And I like, think there is a little bit of an uncomfortable shift between like dystopian sci-fi sort of book and classic fantasy book. Um in moments, not to say that I didn't really love it, but like right now when we're talking about like, okay, well, how are these different figures characterized and like who is the true antagonist? I think it's just harder to tell because of that tonal shift. Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> I would I was just excited to have him show up and be like, Yes, an adult ally who has money. <laughs> no, totally. I was I was just rooting for Charlie. I was like, Yes, but you're right, like it and, doesn't and it doesn't make sense with the like what else the book seems to be and trying to say. That's why I was talking about like, is it like Europe 
good America bad, mm. but then like they're also which is also like an issue, right? That's yeah. also a problem, mm-hmm. and we're dealing with people who are coming from Ghana and coming from areas that have been colonized specifically by England mm-hmm. and other parts of Europe, by the Western Empire, by France, like all yeah. of the French that's throughout the book is because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so just some food for thought. I don't know. I feel like I am still teasing out some of this stuff. And like, it's a, it's a kid's book. Like it, it is a YA mm-hmm. book. It's the length and difficulty of reading level that I, I wouldn't call it middle grade, but it's definitely at like the lower end of YA in terms of age appropriateness. Mm-hmm. Like I think, you know, someone in like fifth, fourth, fifth grade can read this and really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like the difficulty is similar to like a Harry Potter book, the earlier ones. Um, What was I going to say? But then there are, I mean, there's so many good fun moments that like, I'm willing to forgive any of that awkwardness for sure. I, yeah, I've read books with a lot more confusing messages than this one. (laughs) No, for sure. I think, yeah, I think, and I think I'm just saying this because the message is like, pretty heavy in places and then in others it's like i'm a nice king (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that's that's totally fair i and i guess that i was just like yeah whatever (laughs) (laughs) which is totally fine this is lion boy let's enjoy it but i I just want to mention these things so we can think about them and i want to be clear when i say that um Western, a lot of Europe is part of the American empire. I would like to ex- like use different language there and say that it's part of the Western yeah. empire, yeah. And which America has a really huge role in. Yeah. And that's why like leftists have a tendency to say like, oh, okay, well, it's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's the American empire, but I, I prefer Western empire. And uh, the Yugoslav state dissolved uh, between 1991 and 1992. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Thank you for that fact. <laughs> Appreciate you. I also want to talk about the way in which maybe that tonal shift has to do with the amazing way this book was written, which is by an adult and a child. Mm-hmm. And I tried finding... Maybe the child wrote the game. I tried finding any information or like quotes from the two of them about their process or writing together. And I really couldn't find anything. I think part of the difficulty is that Louisa Young went on to write a memoir about her fiance, who was um, a musician who died of alcoholism in her 50s, like in their 50s. So they were pretty young. Um, so a lot of personal stuff about her is about that. Okay. Um, and she's definitely not with Isabel's father at this point. Um, yeah, so I was just struggling to find anything about how they wrote together. Yeah. Um, but I love the idea of doing that. I think that's like such an incredible project and they must have gained so much from it. And they wrote all the Lion Boy books together. Yeah. So, yeah, they co-authored five books in total, the three Lion Boy books, and then Lee Raven Boy Thief, which sounds pretty fun, <laughs> and a book called Halo. <laughs> Who knows what it's about? 
That one's giving me a look. <laughs> Don't think it's about the video game. Um, and the Lion Boy trilogy, I mean, it was really popular. It was translated into 36 languages. Whoa. And those books were some of the first UK children's novels that had a mixed race protagonist of color. Um, and like we talked about it. Oh, okay. Halo is set in ancient Greece. <laughs> so it's not about the video game. Oh. Um, so when we that talked, also predates Christian angels. I, so I do wonder what it's about. <laughs> Maybe it's another like future mashup book. I don't know. Okay. Um, and the the film rights to Lion Boy have been sold three times, including twice to DreamWorks, but it just doesn't happen. Huh. Um, and it seems like this would be like from a creative standpoint, mm-hmm. like it's all there. Oh yeah. It would be great. I think it would be... It would have to be animated. Yeah. Unless you want some janky, like, Chronicles of Narnia stuff going yeah, on. no. <laughs> Not the BBC versions. The no, big the new ones. Yeah, yeah. Those, that lion looks so cursed. I maintain that the Aslan from the BBC <laughs> miniseries, the robot that they built, which was amazing. The puppet robot. Looks better. <laughs> It definitely scares me less from in like an uncomfortable way, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I just love thinking about the fact that we have an episode about this on our Patreon, if you want to check it out. Um, $3 a month, one episode a month. Uh, uh, just the young, young actors talking about standing next to the robot lion and being like, it was the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is that it was also adapted for the stage, um, mm-hmm. and it opened in 2013 and toured the UK, and then it was re- huh. reprised in um, 2014 and 2015. So it's like still out there a little bit, which is cool. I think that would be a fun, a really fun children's theater production. Yes, yeah, and there's so much music in it too, and uh, Louisa Young and. Isabel Young, both of them together as co-authors. Um, they had a musician write all of the music that's used in it. And in the actual book, there are measures. Like, it, oh. write, they write out the music oh. so that you can enjoy it for yourself. That's really cute. Um, yeah. And Louisa Young released an album after her fiancé died, too. So she is also a musician now. Um, cool. But they worked with somebody else whose name I'm not going to say because the book is too far away for me to read. Okay, but what I wanted to say also about the two of them writing it together, when I first looked up Lion Boy, I just saw Louisa Young as Zizou Quarter, and this was this was like months ago when I was just evaluating it to put it on our list in the first place. Um, Vetting it. Drag Maybe's process, very important. <laughs> uh, just me Googling things. Um, I thought that it was just written by a white person um, because I just saw Louisa Young. So when I learned that her daughter was mixed race and Ghanaian and was writing about, you know, some of her own experiences, I'm sure, in the two of them telling this story together, I was just like, yes, this is how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I I love thinking about like, who maybe came up with ideas for different things. And I saw a bio for the two of them um, that is just so cute. It reads, Zizu Quarter is Louisa Young and Isabel Adumarco Young, whose names are too long to fit on the front of a book. Louisa is a grown-up and has written five grown-up books. 
Isabel is a kid and has written mostly schoolwork. The original Zizu is Isabel's lizard, only he spells it Zizu without the O. <laughs> Zizu. Um, they live in London. Only one goes to school. <laughs> Very sweet. Um, and I think that the inclusion of Charlie feeling really good about his heritage and his family and the other people he meets throughout the book who are like, cool, yeah, like I also come from a mixed race family. Mm -hmm. um, or there's like this nasty dude who's the teacher of Macamo's ex girlfriend yeah who told her not to marry him because she is white and he is black and he doesn't like interracial marriage yeah so he's a nazi yeah <laughs> yikes um and poor charlie having to hear that and the other like circus performers who are telling him that are uncomfortable seeing it and like seeing a child's experience of racism, I think is really important for young readers too. Um, like both readers that are white and people of color, um, just to, if they're experiencing it themselves, get, you know, a broader illustration of it and be like, it's not that anything is wrong with you. It's that there are things wrong with other people mm -hmm. who are speaking to you this way and yeah. targeting you. Yeah. Um, and then for young white readers to like begin to even try to understand what that experience is like. Mm -hmm. um, so I just absolutely loved it. And I loved the different pieces of Ghanaian culture that are a big part of Charlie's life. Um, and him also talking about his time in London and the piece of English culture. Um, and I just, I, I really, really loved that. And now I want like more series of books to be written by parents and their kids. Like yeah. what a great idea. Yeah. I think this is the only book we've read that has a young person. I mean, someone under like 17 mm -hmm. as the author, except for Aragon. <laughs> I was just thinking about Aragon this morning and I was like, oh, I and that's hate kind that of book. a whole different <laughs> situation. Um, I don't think we've read any by two authors, even. We have Sorcery and Cecilia, um, which is written by. Patricia C. Reedy and Carolyn Stiebermeyer. Oh, okay. There was also um, some fun use of one of the Ghanaian languages, Twi, um, when Charlie's dad just speaks like silly phrases in the language oh, to yeah. pretend like he's cursing the really silly little like Disney-style henchmen yeah. who are charged with watching him and Magdalena. Is that his wife's name? I don't remember. Magdalene, who are tasked with watching him and his wife, Magdalene, his wife. And they, uh, um, he has a really, really good curse that I want to use, which translates to, you have a very bad hairdresser. Your clothes look as if they have been out dancing on their own all night. <sighs> Your mother is a banana. Your nose <laughs> is too big. Your stupidity is so famous. They have statues of it in the city squares. <laughs> Those are great insults. Your mother is a banana is like the best <laughs> your mama joke I've ever heard. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, and I feel like that 
rang through as like a kid being involved in the specific phrasing. Mm -hmm. And then I also really loved and felt like Isabel had a part in this when Charlie is rattling off his strengths to Thibodeau, the circus master. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, he speaks like a million languages, apparently. Yeah, no, he does say he can speak like five different languages. And he says, I can read and write. I'm quick at calculations. I can play the piano and drive. And I'm an experienced sailor. And I can climb and ride a bicycle. And it just made me remember being a kid and trying to prove yourself to someone and feeling like an adult can never see you as that valuable. Yeah. Um, But Charlie is amazing. And he... Very impressive. He just does so much throughout the book, even though he is haunted by persistent self-doubt and worry, and he really wants to talk to his parents. And like, I just felt like his youth came through so well. And that's what I'm getting at and saying here are the pieces that feel like a kid was definitely involved in creating this, and one was. Yeah, no, totally. I also, this is my last new impression, and then we'll move on. I really liked the sort of... Uh, metatextual piece where the book is referencing other authors and also other fictional characters who can speak cat. Um, oh yeah. Like, like Dr. Doolittle. Yeah. When Charlie is talking to this amazing cat named Sergey, <sighs> Charlie's like, why is that your name? And he's like, my father loved Rachmaninoff. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, Sergey is like, you're not the first, but there aren't many of you. Um, what does he say? Here, I have the page marked. Um, Charlie says, um, Sergey, who else human speaks, Cat? Well, nobody at the moment, only you. Van Amberg did, the lion trainer, and King Solomon, obviously St. Francis, the patron saint of animals, <laughs> and St. Jerome, who extricated the thorn out of some lion's paw some centuries ago. No one understood how he could do it, and that's one reason he got sainted. You could be a saint, maybe, Charlie. Ha ha. And uh, Hugh Lofting, who wrote those books, you know, Dr. Doolittle, uh, Daniel, of course, in the Bible in the lion's den, some others who just thought they were off their rockers. And I appreciate uh, the, that it's canon here that Hugh Lofting speaks cat. <laughs> like, and I like that he's an author in this world and Dr. Doolittle exists and that's how he could do it. So like, theoretically, all the meows in Dr. Doolittle are in the cat language. So he actually also just debunked a number of uh, Christian myths. <laughs> being like, no, it wasn't like no, God or whatever. No, it's not God's power. Yeah. It's because they can talk to lions. <laughs> Which, like, I'd be more likely to believe in, I have to say. Yeah. And when I was a kid, the um, Daniel in the Lion's Den was, like, one of my favorite biblical stories. Um, I think because I did always feel like it was because he was talking to them. Not that God was being like, lions, lay down, be cool. <laughs> and and uh, so, I don't know, maybe I was just riding that high all throughout this book. No, I like that. Let's move on to animals, animals, just like animals in this book. Animal. We've really talked about them quite a bit already, but I just want to say here and now, I'm very jealous of Charlie. Yeah. I don't know why our parents didn't take us around leopardess cubs. When and let them bleed on and us. And put their blood on us <laughs> and our blood on them. 
I don't know about the that piece. Like, did did that somehow make cats also like better able to understand Charlie? I don't know. No, yeah. I mean, maybe it's just a throwaway line of like <laughs> their blood was mingling. Whatever. Um, and I love the way that Charlie can like anticipate what the cats are going to be like Mm. (laughs) and their personalities still come through even though they're talking to charlie and i think it's really funny that we as the readers from the start are just supposed to be like oh yeah he can talk to cats but then the cats are always very surprised by him they're like yeah what who is that is that a human i don't know because they don't they don't explain like they don't give you the leopard story for a minute and yeah, I it's had in like chapter five a few times when he just started talking to cats. I would like go back a little bit and be like, "Did I miss something?" <laughs> I also wondered if everyone could talk to cats. Um, oh, okay. But yeah, then realized it was he was special. It was special, and any passage where Charlie is accidentally overheard by a human while he's talking to cats is so funny because afterwards they're like, "Why were you just hissing and meowing?" <laughs> at that cat yeah and he's like we're just having fun <laughs> don't worry about it i guess i meow at my cat a lot but like it's pretty obvious that you're not talking to her yeah. like having a conversation i meow at my cats all the time but it's just me making the same sounds they make back no totally and my cat's looking at me like what did you just call me <laughs> Uh, But it's so good. And I love watching the lions get stronger and more robust, Mm -hmm. more ferocious as their medicine is removed. I mean, they're bad medicine. And that there's like the old lion who's very wise and powerful. And then the young lion who's like, yeah, what's up? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he kind of helps act as a go-between for the younger lions and older lions. And there's a bunch of lionesses who are like very mysterious um, and sort of like keep to their group, which is also very true to the animal kingdom. Yeah. And I also appreciate that Charlie at no point feels like, these are my lions. I got control of them. Right. He's always still a little bit concerned and aware of the fact that they are lions. And he has a lot of respect them. Yep. for those lions. He has lions. so much respect for them. Every time he has to, you know, suggest that he like ride on one of their backs or something that needs to happen in order for them to move the quest forward, he's like, oh, it is not okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't mean to denigrate you. <laughs> and I just really appreciate the way he treats them. There's also a poor dog who's clearly abused named Ra- by Raffi, and his name is Troy. Yeah. <laughs> I feel really sad for Troy. He's always just like trotting along behind Raffi, and then he kind of disappears as the book goes on. I hope that he like gets free in a future book because he doesn't yeah you're right I bet Troy's coming back and then there'll be like a glorious release although Charlie can't talk to him (laughs) no but like (laughs) he's a dog you can hang out so yeah just just a wonderful coterie of sea cats alley cats street cats boat cats and lions it's so good and house cats what is their house cat named I don't know (laughs) 
I don't remember. And then, of course, we have the Smilodon Fatalis. Um, and, uh, yeah, curious about what's uh, what's going to happen to him. Yeah, <laughs> what's going on there? Oh, I mean, I could spoil it right now. Wikipedia says, created in a lab from ancient DNA and rescued by the lions. So it was Jurassic a Jurassic Park, Park situation. <laughs> Madeline is right. I wondered if they were still, if they still existed in this reality. They went extinct so long I know, ago. I know, but who knows? Yeah, no, I know. Charlie you know. can talk to lions. Yugoslavia exists. <laughs> Yugoslavia, <so. laughs> which is more believable. I don't know. <laughs> so let's move on to pretend food. Pretend food. There's good pretend food in this book. Yeah, there's I, a lot I of appreciated food. it. I liked the variety, um, even though it felt like it could easily become a hungry book because Charlie was on the lamb for much of it. Um, And then on a circus ship where it doesn't seem like you'd be getting, you know, a ton of interesting food. You'd get hearty food. You're doing a lot of physical labor. The first food is cherry sherbet, which is something that we continue to grapple with because sherbet in the U.S., means something different than sherbet in a lot of the books we cover where it's like a drink with fruit oh and here well and maybe it's just because it's sherbet in the u.s and it's just frozen non-dairy treat (laughs) item yeah i don't even know how else to describe it ice with flavor but the sherry, the sherbet cart is described as piled high with crimson cherries and jugs of sugarcane syrup, which is drunk frothy and cool from tall glasses. Which sounds great. That sounds nice. Then Charlie has something that I genuinely got pretty excited about. He's starving and he finds his way to the water and to the fishmonger's house. And it's like one of his friend's dads. And he's like, okay, I... I'm not going to ask too much about what's happening, but here's some breakfast. And then he uh, covers for him. And then he covers for him. He's a cool dude. Yeah. He's a cool guy. Then Charlie has a toasted eel sandwich buttered up with lemon and pepper. He'd never tasted anything better. And here we get a little context for just like food in this area and Charlie's cultural experiences with it, which I really appreciated. So I'll read that. The eels here were huge, eight feet long, some of them. Their meat was more like chicken than fish. Some of the school kids said snake tasted like eel, but Charlie had never eaten snake. Africans don't eat them, his father had said, like the English don't eat snails. So Charlie's dad ate snails and his mom ate snake, and Charlie didn't eat either. (laughs) When he came to it, he didn't actually want to. Give him a good eel sandwich any day. And I just love that piece of, and this is part of the reason why pretend food is so important to me and to us, because it tells you so much about that specific fantasy world and what the characters' lives have been like, their surroundings, like their resources. Um, It's so meaningful. And so I just really loved that passage. I, I have not eaten snake. I've eaten eel, like unagi with like sushi and stuff um i've had snails i've had escargot once at a restaurant they've tasted like the pool of butter and garlic that they were drowned in like which you know escargot tastes like nothing yeah um haven't eaten snake but i have to imagine it's very hard to clean that's what i've heard about snake there's Um, so many bones 
Yeah, but like, but similar to fish. I mean, and you get a fish bone every once in a while. Probably just okay. (laughs) No, Josiah told me once that there's like a hole in your throat that's called like the fish bone (laughs) hole, and that if you get a fish bone in there, you will die. Was he just messing with me? I'm going to tell him not to tell you things. I think of that every time oh I get a fish bone in my mouth. Okay, well, after we finish recording, we can go upstairs and talk to him about the fish bone hole. <laughs> Charlie steals some food from some policemen, which is just a half-eaten box of crackers, some tea, some sugar cubes, and chocolate. He later has a circus ship dinner where they're each given a dollop of food. I love the way that's described. And that night it was stew with dumplings and green peas. That's a good circus performer meal. Yeah. I can't imagine how hungry they must be at the end of the day. Like the, especially the like Like acrobats artists and the contortionists, the people doing like Cirque du Soleil type stuff, because from, we haven't, I mean, we're not even going to talk about the two full chapters that are just a circus performance being described. (laughs) They're glorious. So much fun. Definitely a child was involved in, you know, the creation of those as well. And like I said to Mel before we started, you're just reading about it, so there's no animal cruelty involved. Exactly. Like, that's the yeah. only way I want to experience a circus. I've never been to the circus, so I never will <laughs> because I don't want to. I went to a, a PT Barnum or Barnum and Bailey or whatever um, when I was young. Um, and the thing I remember most about it is that I got to have both cotton candy and popcorn. It's a good day. I, I think our seats were probably pretty bad, but <laughs> I remember also not liking the clowns, not because they were scary, but because they were just kind of like creepy and weird. Yeah. I mean, a clown can be great, but I like a very specific kind of clown, you know? I like horror clowns. I like, well, I like... If you um, haven't seen Terrifier 2, you should, unless you are a child or have a problem with a lot of gore. <laughs> The kind of clown I like is the clown from the episode of Adventure Time where Jake's tail goes out at night and it becomes a sad clown. That's my favorite clown. Who is trying to... um, Oh, Blue Nose. Oh, Blue Nose. His his clown look is a, you know, dusty old brimmed gray hat, um, a little flower in his lapel, a perfect frown a red frown and then a little blue nose um, and a powdered white face. Um, And he doesn't talk. And his act is really weird. (laughs) His act is like um, very, uh, it's very Dada-esque and absurdist. And everyone's so bummed afterwards. And the ringleader is like, why are you like this? (laughs) Those are the kind of clowns that I like. (laughs) I'll I'll link to that episode on our website so y'all can check it out if you haven't. We got our Zelda ref down. Our Zelda, Adventure Time Adventure wrap time. down. Um, we haven't talked about Alone yet, but maybe it's coming. <laughs> uh, I love the gift he gives to one of the cats who brings him a message. It says, milk fish and a small piece of cake on principle because cake was a treat, though he didn't know if the cat would like it. And you better believe the cat eats that cake. Yeah. Then the train food from the king. His menu offers oysters and turtle soup, capons and saddles of venison, lobsters and aspic, and ice cream served in miniature railway cars made of marzipan and nougat. Um, I really only want to eat 
one of those things, and you can probably guess which. (laughs) (laughs) Because ice cream in a nougat marzipan train car? Come on. Yeah. I I have to say, I am a little relieved that we read this after we did our pretend food delicious version. Because, boy, there's a lot in here. Because I I don't think I'm up to the task of making that, but I would like to. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. And Charlie also from The King has a chicken sandwich on a heavy white plate with a gold crown on it and a goblet of milk. And then he has toast with melting butter and ruby red strawberry jam. And I have to say, toast with butter and jam is genuinely one of my favorite foods. Like on some really nice, like rough grain bread. Give that to me every day and I'm happy. Honestly, I'll eat it on cheap bread too. Like anytime I'm at a diner, I always get that toast with butter and strawberry jam. Yeah, it's the best. And I always eat my toast. Like, I would rather finish my toast and, like, not finish my pancakes Mm -hmm. if I don't have room. And maybe that's sacrilege. But to those of you listening, judge me not. It depends how good the pancakes are. If it's, like, glows, I'll probably finish the pancakes. But if it's glows, I'm eating everything on my plate. On to Badass Ladies. Shall we wrap it up? Yes. Anything else you wanted to mention from Le Book? No, I don't think so. Badass ladies. I my badass lady is Charlie. Ah, I think Charlie takes on oh, we can both say Charlie. I think yeah. he's an amazing character. He has a lot of he, fun. And he also like reads as very female coded at a lot of times. Like he also even laughs at himself for feeling like a mom when he's getting the lions off of the roof and he's saying, like, carefully now, move slowly, mm-hmm. let's stay together. <laughs> he he feel, he's very sensitive. He feels great responsibility for taking care of other people and lions. He's, yeah, he's always thinking about his parents and how they're doing. He's thinking about the lions and how they're doing and i'm not saying that like men can't have these traits i'm saying they should but they're typically not characterized as such it's coded female yeah yeah Yeah. and since this is a book with a male protagonist which we like honestly don't really do that many of it's more female protagonists certainly in the books Mm -hmm. that we're covering because we mostly cover books written by women and this one's written by two (laughs) which makes it even more powerful um although Isabel is queer, so one woman and one, like, it sounds like non-binary slash femme. Well, you said she, they, yeah, the, right? her pronouns are she, they. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, and uh, Charlie just does such a great job and also really keeps his spirits up. Even when he has to have a little stuffed animal cry, yeah. he gets right back up and gets going and he figures everything out. My rating... For Charlie is a lion-sized train fitted out with beautiful lion beds, little um, steak containers, <laughs> so they can maybe like with a little presser that they could push down on, and then a little steak pops out, and they can just <laughs> munch it right up. And all the amenities plus a human bed at the end for Charlie, so he doesn't have to worry about the lions being cold or uncomfortable or hungry, and or he sleep in a bathroom. Have, he doesn't have to sleep with his head on a sink, which sounded pretty bad. This is <laughs> to put this in, but I just thought it was so funny that the king was like, "I so bad." <laughs> 
No, okay. Yeah, no, I do want to keep this in because we haven't mentioned it. And it was so funny. The king was like, I usually lock myself in the bathroom for hours after the train leaves. I was like, my and guy. I know then he, it became like a joke about like, well, I have to be careful of assassins and things like that. But I'm pretty sure he was saying that he has IBS. And as fellow IBS sufferers, like, I get it. And if you have your own train bathroom, I of course, I would be chilling in that bathroom. We... Me and my husband are moving soon. Super excited. Great place. And we didn't go out looking for this, but the place where we ended up uh, has two bathrooms. Um, so I'm, I'm really, we're both really excited about the bathroom privacy that is to come. It's, it can be really nice to have, it especially take, when you and your partner both have sensitive tums. Yeah. And both like to take really long showers. Okay. Well, <laughs> speak to that piece. Like, I'm the hammering on the door. Like I got to pee and be like, no, I'm in my soak. <laughs> Does it have a bathtub? Uh, both of them are shower bathtubs. They both have showers, both bathrooms. Yeah. Whoa. They're full baths. I thought one was a half. It's a three bedroom. Wow. Yeah. You don't even have to share a shower with each other. That's crazy. I've never I've never experienced such a thing. His bathroom's gonna be filthy. It's gonna be gross. <laughs> badass lady? My badass lady is Charlie. Uh I agree with everything Grace just said and I shared a little bit as well. Um, there aren't a lot of women in this book, but also most of the characters are animals um, or circus performers. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just two ladies. I mean, there's the trapeze artist and, and the, the bearded, the bearded lady. lady. Mm-hmm. And his um, mom. Right. No, I meant in the circus act. Oh, um, I and see. then his mom, Magdalene, is awesome. And she's very smart and accomplished. And I love that she's just like rocking it out there in the science world but she's not really in the book i mean she and his mm-hmm. dad are they have pretty minimal roles but a lot of the cats are female yes but then the lionesses <laughs> are like quite and mysterious yeah, no, <laughs> except that's, for um that's alcina true. is that her name the one who yeah alcina uh, she's the other young lion yes and I think that the receptionist at the terrifying soulless corporate hellhole is Hi. a woman. How are you? Yeah. Um, his American accent was so funny because it was just off enough that it was like, what's happening? This feels like eerie. Yeah. It was like Uncanny it was jarring. Valley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and wait, it was also so it was a man. Him. I thought maybe it was a woman. No, I was talking about Simon Jones, the narrator. The performance oh, of the American. Okay. okay. Yeah, because he's English. Yeah, no, it was very good. And that's why it reminded me of cyberpunk so much because there's like a decent amount of like purposefully jarring like yeah. corporate type speak in it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I want to rate Charlie just like so many cats. Like he's so happy when he's around cats. Just let him like go to an estate or something where he can just have herds of cats of all shapes and sizes. Uh, it's amazing. I love thinking about him walking with the lions trailing behind him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I hope he can also visit the lions lots once they get to Africa um, because they do need to go home. Lions are not pets. Certainly not. Yeah. And that's my rating. My ratings have turned into just like, I'm I'm giving them this, but like as in like 
take this and enjoy it. No, and I'm on board. <laughs> yeah. I think we've come far with the rating system from the days when you like refused to participate and you were like angry at me for making you I would just get so stressed out because I was like, I I'm don't sorry. know. I, I could... never wanted to stress you. Oh, I don't think it was you. I think it was coming from inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> Stress is coming from inside the house. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I'm going to be saying that to myself <laughs> when necessary. I say that to myself so much. <sighs> it really helps me. Remember when something's internal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that little bit of wisdom from ye old Madeline, we finish this episode on Lion Boy. Simon Jones's roars were so good. The book just feels so like early aughts kids entertainment. We've got a kidnapping, we've got talking to lions, code language, traveling by train hidden in compartments like across countries. I just, there was so much at that time that dealt with this specific type of like kid adventure um, and I loved it. And I'm glad to have been, you know, a young person around the turn of the century. Um, It was very fun. Yeah. And that's why I think, you know, we're talking about ringtones of old (laughs) like it just brought it brought back a lot of fun nostalgia even though it's set in a dystopian future so yeah check it out slash alternate reality lion boy by zizu quarter thank you all so much for listening for talking to us about your favorite books um if you've got a request to make you can email us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com or get in touch on our Twitter at dragonbabiespod. I'm probably going to get rid of the Twitter soon. I just want to get away. Um, So if you're following us there, like move to follow us on Instagram instead. I know Instagram also bad, but like at least things are remaining a little more consistent there. So we're on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast. Or, you know, just find us on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the pod and you'll get all pertinent information there. I post my art and plants and pets and uh, random musings. You should follow me. Uh, Pig and Doodles, P-I-G, the letter N as in Nancy, D-O-O-D-L-E-S. Pig and Doodles. <laughs> and lately we've been doing this thing where since we're only have we've only had one main feed episode a month for a few months, and realistically that's probably going to continue in September because I'll be in England for half the month. Wow, yay. Um any any English or British uh listeners who want to give me some suggestions, please let me know. Something you think I would like. <laughs> Which you probably know. Yeah, if you've been listening. (laughs) I'm going for a wedding, but the rest of the time will be chill time. Grace uh, time. And I will have just moved, so I have a lot of work to do. Yeah, so we're probably also just going to have one in September. And then I anticipate us getting back to a regular schedule of two main feed episodes per month. But again, if you want an extra episode, get over on the Babetron and you shall have it. Um, But we are going to keep announcing the next books on social media for September as well. Then we'll get back to seeing them at the end of the episode once we've got our ducks in a tighter row right now the ducks are on different planets (laughs) they are are not together (laughs) so follow us on social media especially instagram for that announcement okay i think that's it okay we appreciate you i'm grace i'm madeline until next time goodbye